You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, so in Romans, we've been going over these different themes, and one of the themes that we've come through so far uh, is a theme that we've seen many times throughout uh, the ages as we have preached through the Bible, specifically in Acts. In Acts, we saw this all the time, where um, Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, declared that he wanted the Gentiles to become his followers. And that was weird for them. The book of Acts struggles with this a lot. And we today, we just don't get it. And the reason that we don't get it is because for the most part, we're all the Gentiles. We're all the outsiders. We weren't following God. We're a part of the other nations that were in the Bible who had their own false gods. And so when we see the Bible struggling with us, we're like, what's the big deal? We follow Jesus. We know it's not weird. But it was weird for them. And I want you to, I want to help you understand why a little bit more. Part of the reason it was weird for them is because religion and the state throughout ancient history always were the same thing. In other words, like for Israel, if you were an Israelite, you were not only under the king be it David or Solomon or whoever else, you're not only under the state of Israel, you are also a follower of Yahweh, of the one true God. You are both of those things by being an Israelite. That's not how we think of America. It was that way for a while where America happened to be looked at or thought to be so Christian that people were just like, well, Americans are Christians. That's never really been the case, and history shows that clearly. <laughs> um, but that's been the way that a lot of people have assumed that as they've been growing up. Um, but America, and at least the way that we see it now, is that we're this hodgepodge of all different kinds of people, of all different kinds of state and religion put together. But Christians are called, of course, to just follow one God, to follow Yahweh, and to follow his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. That's what it was for the Jews. So for the Jews, it was weird. We often think of Christianity and Judaism as two different things. That's not the way that the Bible saw it. Christianity, for Paul, was Judaism. It was true Jewishness. Because the Jews were waiting for a Messiah. And suddenly, Jesus came along, and some of the Jews started saying the Messiah came. Judaism has found its fulfillment. The king that we were waiting for is here. He was enthroned, albeit it was confusing. He was on a cross instead of a glorious earthly throne. But now he's died, was pulled out of the grave, back to life into a new body, and ascended to heaven, where he sits on an even better throne than any earthly one that we could come up with. And so some Jews start preaching this. They're saying our Jewishness is fulfilled in Jesus, they weren't out to start a new religion. They were continuing their own. So now you've got kind of two schools of Judaism. You've got the school that says, no, we haven't seen our Messiah yet, and we're the Jews. And then you have this new school coming up that says, no, the Messiah has come, 
and the fullness of, of what it means to be Jewish is found in that king, in that Messiah. His name is Jesus Christ. And then Jesus started doing something weird. Through his spirit, he started messing with the ancient lines of state and religion. If you were Jewish, if you were an Israelite, you were a Yahweh follower. You were a God follower. But now Jesus was saying, hey, I want you to take what it means to be Jewish, what it means to follow the one true God, what it means to follow Jesus, and extend that out to the rest of the world and invite everyone to become Jewish, everyone to become Christian, everyone to become a Yahweh follower. Extend it out to everyone. And this messed with their heads. Because what it meant to be a Yahweh follower was that you lived by the law. That there's these 600 plus rules in the Bible and you did your best to live by those. What it meant to be a God follower is that you had a mark upon your body. Circumcision for them. That you bore this mark. And so if people wanted to come into your state, into your religion, well, how could they do that? They don't follow the law and they don't bear the mark. And how, how are they just suddenly supposed to take everything they've known about traditional Judaism, throw it out the window and just bring in people from 70 other nations and hope that this won't turn into a crazy mess? And people like Paul come around, they're like, the crazy mess is what God's calling us into. It is going to get confusing. It is going to get complicated. We're going to have to rethink some things and figure some things out. And for Paul, in the book of Romans, it's his theology that he really wants to figure out. Okay. How is it now that we can bring in people, tell them to leave their false gods behind and come follow Yahweh? How can we go and tell the world to become Jewish, to become Christian? How can we go out and tell people that they can leave their nations behind and follow the one nation of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven. How can we do that? And that works out with all of our theology. The book of Romans is him trying to convince people that this can be done. And today we find ourselves in Romans 3. And like a good pastor, I don't know where I put my Bible. Wait. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tyler, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. the Bible finder himself. Oh, thank you very much. Usually I use electronics things, and yet they're broadcasting right now. So, Romans 3. In our last message, Paul looked at the Jews and he said, like, is this gospel just for us? Well, no, it's for the Gentiles also. And now we kind of continue that. What then... What, then what? <laughs> then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision, this mark that all Jewish people had? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. In other words, the Jews are like God's mouthpiece. God spoke to the Jews and they spoke it out to the world. So that's a benefit to being Jewish throughout all history. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. So some Jews throughout history weren't faithful to the law. But Paul's like, does that mean God wasn't faithful to us? No, God is not a man, so he's faithful to us, even though we as humans are flawed. By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. 
as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath upon us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. I'm going to keep going. Let me pause right there. Because Paul is saying now people can come into the Jewish faith, even though they didn't have the law before and have the mark of circumcision before. Some people are taking what Paul said and running crazy with it. Telling the whole world that you can live however you want. God is faithful no matter what. Go and sin as much as you want. God has the grace and will forgive you. Have you heard that gospel today? Because I sure have a million times. People took what Paul said. And they're like, that's what Paul's saying. We can do whatever we want. We don't need the law. We don't need to live right. And Paul looks at those people. He calls them out right here. He's like, some of you have slandered us saying that we said this. That is not what we are saying. And we've gone through that in past weeks. That it does matter how you live. And on the final day of judgment, even if you are Christian, you go before the throne of God. All of your secrets are put bare before him. And you are judged with that in mind on top of being saved by Christ. And for some, there will actually be more treasure in heaven, whatever that means. Because of how that judgment moment goes. So whether we are Christian or not, judgment is still in our future. But if we are Christian, we can also rest assured that we are saved. Okay. But Paul is not saying you can just live however you want. Nothing matters. He's calling out the people who have taken his theology and turned it into that. And we need to do the same today. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No. Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin, as it is written. And then Paul's going to quote a bunch of passages right here to remind us that we're all sinners, no matter who we are. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, venom, venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That was a bunch of passages Paul just quoted. Why did he do that? He wants to be clear. Ain't nobody righteous. Ain't nobody lived by the law. Even if you had the law as a Jew, you still sinned. You still done messed up. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. The whole world may be held accountable to God. That point right there, every mouth may be stopped. In ancient times, when you were in a court, there was this thing that would happen. <laughs> if you were like in the courtroom and you were giving yourself away, clearly you are guilty. Clearly, based on something you said, you've given the evidence that you did something wrong. You could like you put your 
hand over your mouth to be like, uh, well, hang on, I said that wrong. Let me say it. Let me say it. All right. I get, all right. <laughs> when you were done saying whatever you wanted to say in court, you would put your hand over your mouth as a way of saying, I'm done. That's all I wanted to say. But it seemed like that was used on Jesus. Jesus was brought up before the Pharisees and he was speaking and they thought he was guilty and that he just keeps speaking and making himself look more and more guilty. Does anyone remember what the Pharisees do? They strike him on the mouth. They strike him on the mouth as though they're saying, you done best shut your mouth, Jesus. You just keep making yourself look more and more guilty the more you talk. So it's this idea. What Paul's saying right here is the world is so guilty, we all just need to put our hand over our mouth because the more we talk, the more accused we are. We are all judged. We are all sinners. We have all messed up. He continues, for by works of law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. By the law, by living right, by doing good works, nobody throughout all of history, except for Jesus, has ever gotten this right. That includes the very first people, Adam and Eve, right? Very first people. You think right at the beginning, maybe we've got this margin of error coming ahead of us, but maybe the first people will get it right. They don't. Adam and Eve sin. Instead of behaving like a human, they look to a lesser creature. Instead of behaving like the image of God, they look to a lesser creature, to a snake, and they listen to a beast. They listen to an animal. They listen to something not made in the image of God. And that snake invites him forward. Come, listen to me. Instead of being elevated to the level of being an image of God, listen to something lesser than, listen to something worse. Listen to a beast, listen to a snake. And they do. And from that day forward, God puts out a prophetic word. Look, humanity's messed up, the ground is cursed, lives are cursed, everything, even the earth itself is messed up because of humanity's sin. But one day, this woman Eve will have a, a predecessor, a human who will come along and fix the world, who will get everything right. One day, there will be a human who can be held accountable to the law, who doesn't sin, who doesn't fail, who can fix humanity. One day, when that human comes, he will step on the snake and the snake will bite his heel. So we keep waiting for that human all throughout history. Okay, all right. Adam and Eve have a kid. Is this gonna be the one? Is he gonna be the human that fixes it like one generation later? No. It, their son kills their other son. So that wasn't the one. Okay, all right. Well, where's it going to go from here? Oh, well, then we get Nimrod, who's not a good guy. We get Lamech, who's not a good guy. Eventually, the whole world needs to be flooded, and only Noah spirits. We're like, okay, Noah, he's the one guy worth not wiping humanity out. Is he the one? Will he restore the earth? The Bible writers don't know there's another 65 books to go <laughs> well to the New Testament so I guess you know like half. is Noah going to be the one no Noah doesn't do great things something goes real wrong after the flood with him we don't have time for that um, okay well who's coming up next Abraham 
God specifically calls out Abraham and Sarah. Maybe he will be the one. No, Abraham abuses his slaves, um, tries to find shortcuts around God, even though he's ultimately faithful to God uh, and never gives up faith in God. He also is full of many of his mistakes. In fact, Abraham is by definition breaking the law because he's married to his half-sister. So it's like <laughs> that's he's already from the beginning doesn't live up to what the law is going to call him into. Okay. Abraham's going to have Isaac. Maybe Isaac's the one. Uh, we just kind of skip over his story. There's not much said about Isaac. Okay, well, maybe Isaac's kids. We'll get, to, we'll get to Jacob and Esau. You know what's interesting about Jacob and Esau? Esau is born red and hairy as though he's a beast. So, like, we're waiting. Is this the one? Is this the one who's going who's gonna to fix the world? Is this the human? And as he comes out, it's like that doesn't even quite, the way they describe him doesn't even sound human. It's as though he's already looking like a lesser creature. Okay, all right, I guess he wasn't the one. Wait, there's a twin. What's the twin gonna look like? The twin's doing two things. He's, well, he's not doing two things. He's doing one thing. The twin is holding on to the heel of his brother. You know the last time we saw that word heel was in Genesis? It's a snake. Gonna bite at the heel. <laughs> so we're waiting. Here's the twins. Which one's it gonna be? He's gonna fix the world. First one comes out. That doesn't even exactly sound described as human. And the second one comes out, and that one's described in a way where we think of the snake that deceived Adam and Eve. And eventually we just get to this point. It's like, when is that human gonna come? God promised Abraham it would come. God promised Eve it would come. Eventually we get to Jesus. After waiting many, many times. David, maybe he's the one. Solomon, maybe he's the one. Job, maybe he's the one. Daniel, maybe he's the one. No. But we get to Jesus. And Jesus lives the sinless life. Jesus never breaks the law. Jesus never does anything wrong. And we find out the way that he was capable of doing that was because God himself was willing to put on human flesh, come down to earth, Live the perfect sinless life. Die on a cross on our behalf. And that all of this would change everything. That our lives would no longer be determined, be determined upon the law because the law could never save us. The law never did save us. The law actually just made us more and more and more guilty. Put your hand over your mouth. How many of the 600 laws have you broken? Over and over and over and over again, Paul says, the Jews try to live by the law, they failed. The uh, Gentiles don't live by the law, and if we try to hold them up to it, they would fail. Even in the book of Acts, when they're trying to reach the Gentiles, they're like, which law should we hold them up to? They more or less decide on like three or four <laughs> that generally encompass everything that they shouldn't be wound up in idols and false gods, that they shouldn't be living uh, sexually immoral lives, and I'm uh, forgetting the third one, but essentially they're, they're like, let's, what is the whole concept of the whole law? How, how will these Gentiles still need to live to really be following God? And they whittle it down because they know that the law has been a weight on their lives and the law has been a weight on the entire world. No human has ever lived up to it. No human ever will live up to it. 
And therefore, the one who did, who was God in flesh himself, who was Jesus, he's the only one who can save us. Because if the law is what saves us, we're all screwed. But if Jesus is who saves us, because he did live by the law correctly, then whether you're Jewish or Gentile, whether he had the law or not, if you appeal to Jesus, he can then appeal to God on your behalf. You can be saved, not by the law, but by a man. This is the good news. Romans has been hard so far. The first three chapters of Romans, we realize the way we live our lives, by Paul's account, really, really matters. But the good news that we're going to especially jump into next week is that Jesus is now the one who saves us, not the law. It still matters how we live, but the whole system has changed. The new covenant has taken some things out and put our focus on something new, something else. So, well, I shouldn't even say took things out, rather like honed in on what the, the point of the law and everything else was, and has honed it all into Jesus. So, I wish I could keep going, but I can't because, you know, we, we just don't have time for all that. What time is it? The clock, I fixed it, but apparently it broke. So, seven o'clock. All right. I was going to do one more song, but I guess we're done. So, uh, uh, it's 6.50. We're going to do one more song. If you need to leave, you can leave. Uh, we're going to sing uh, one more song and just kind of like take this moment of how we're all sinners and how Jesus comes to save us. We subject it to him. He is our salvation. If you need to leave, go ahead. But if you'd like to stay and sing with us, please stand uh, and we will uh, do one more.